Number one, please, Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Peter Grant. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Bairns Come First is a report recently produced by a number of organisations, including Five Gingerbread and Citizens Advice and Rights Fife. It found that a third of families who should have been claiming child maintenance support did not apply, that a major barrier to application was a £20 application. Fee, and that the 4% collection fee had a serious impact on family budgets. Will the Prime Minister undertake to review these unfair charges? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the issues of trying to ensure that those who are responsible uh, for children actually pay for their children when a family has broken up has been one that has been a long-standing question which this House has addressed. There have been various ways of dealing with it through the, uh, the uh, agency that has been responsible. I think it is right that the changes that have been introduced are on a more level basis and that not more people are able to access the support that they need as a result. Daniel Kaczynski. Uh, the government is rightly focused on economic growth, jobs and prosperity, something that all of us on these benches can get behind. Uh, with that in mind, will she uh, back our highly competitive bid for funding for the North West Relief Road in Shrewsbury, which will not only deal with the congestion our town is facing, but dovetail into that narrative? Well, uh, can I thank my honourable friend for raising this? And I know that that North West Relief Road in Shrewsbury has been an issue that is of particular concern to him. It's a priority for him, and it's received considerable local backing. I understand that the local marches let has indeed put in a bid for feasibility funding so that they can prepare a business case for the scheme. Uh, what I can say at the moment is that the announcement of the successful bids for feasibility funding is expected very shortly indeed. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The government's sustainability and transformation plans for the National Health Service hide £22 billion of cuts from our service, according to research by the BMA. That risks, and I quote, starving services of resources and patients of vital care. That comes from Dr. Mark Porter of the BMA. When he calls this process a mess, where is he wrong? The National Health Service is indeed looking for savings within the NHS, which will be reinvested in the NHS. It is, and it, I would remind the right honourable gentleman that it is this government that is providing not just the eight billion of extra funding the NHS requested, but ten billion of extra funding requested by the National Health Service. And the sustainability and transformation plans are being developed at local level in the interests of local people by local clinicians. It's, a very, it's very strange the Prime Minister should say that, Mr Speaker, because the Health Select Committee, chaired by our honourable friend, the member for Totnes, says it's actually £4.5 billion, not £10 billion. There's quite a big, there's quite a big difference there. And Mr Speaker, part of the reason for the strain on our National Health Service is that more than one million people are not receiving the social care that they need. As a result of this, there's been an increase in emergency admissions for older patients. Margaret wrote to me this week saying, it's not funny. It's not funny. 
she described how her 89-year-old mother suffered two falls leading to hospital admissions due to the lack of nursing care and went on to say, my mother is worth more than this. What action will the Prime Minister take to stop the neglect of older people which ends up in forcing them to take A&E admissions when they should be cared for at home or in a care home? Well, of course social care is an area of concern and social care is a key issue for many people. That's why the Government has introduced the Better Care Fund. That's why the Government has introduced the social care precept for local authorities. And and we're encouraging the working together of the health service and the local authorities to deal with precisely the issues he's raised on social care and bed blocking. But I will just say this to the right honourable gentleman. Uh, we've introduced the Better Care Fund and the Social Care Precept. Let's just look at what Labour did in their 13 years. They, they, said they'd, they said they'd deal with social care in the 97 Manifesto, introduced a Royal Commission in 1999, a Green Paper in 2005, the Oneness Review in 2006, said they'd sorted in the CSR of 2007 and another Green Paper in 2009. 13 years and they did nothing. Mr Speaker, as the Prime Minister well knows, health spending trebled under the last Labour government. Levels of satisfaction with and the levels of satisfaction with the National Health Service were at their highest ever in 2010. This government's choice was to cut social care by £4.6 billion in the last Parliament, at the same time as they found the the space, shall we say, to cut billions in corporate taxation bills. That means it's affecting patients leaving hospital as well. In the last four years, the number of patients unable to be transferred from hospital due to the lack of adequate social care has increased by one third. Will the Prime Minister ensure her government guarantees all of our elderly people the dignity they deserve? I recognise the importance of caring for elderly people and providing them with the dignity that they deserve. It's, uh, he, says, he says that this government has done nothing on social care. I repeat, we've introduced the social care precept. That is being made use of by my local authorities and by his local authority. Uh, we've also introduced the Better Care Fund. But if he talks about support for elderly people, I would remind him which government is it that has put the triple lock in place for pensioners? That's ensured, that's ensured the largest increase in pensions for elderly people. The precept is a drop in the ocean compared to what's necessary for social care. And give you an example, Mr. Speaker, the whole House, I'm sure, would have been appalled by the revelations in BBC Panorama programme this week, showing older people systematically mistreated. The Care Quality Commission's assessment that care homes run by the Morley Group require improvement and has issued warning notices. The Commission goes on to say that the owner has allowed services to deteriorate further and has, and I quote, utterly neglected the duty of care to the residents of these homes. What action is her government going to take to protect the residents of those homes? The, the, 
right honourable gentleman mentioned raises the issue of the quality of care that is provided in homes and the way in which elderly people are treated. I am sure everybody is appalled when we see examples of poor and uh, uh, terrible treatment that is given to elderly and vulnerable people in care homes. What we do about it is ensure that we have the CQC which is able to step in, which takes action, which has powers to make sure that nobody, nobody in the chain of responsibility is immune from legal accountability. But we know that there's more that can be done, and that's why the CQC is looking into ways in which it can improve its processes, increase its efficiency. The, uh, my honourable friend, the Minister for Community Health and Care, is going to be writing to the CQC shortly to look at how we can see to improve what they do. It's the CQC that deals with these issues. We have that in place. Is there more we can do? Yes, and we're doing it. Mr Speaker, the problem seems to be that that home was understaffed and we shouldn't be blaming often underpaid and hard-pressed care workers. We should be ensuring there are enough of them properly paid in all of those homes. There was a serious problem of understaffing and it was the last Labour government that established the CQC and I think a warning notice is insufficient. We need stronger action than that. Yesterday, Mr Speaker, the government proposed that patients may have to show passport to other uh, ID to access non-emergency health care. Has the government considered that the impact of this on elderly people, the last census showed us that nine and a half million people in this country don't have passports. Rather than distracting people with divisive and impractical policies, could the Prime Minister provide the NHS and social care with the money that it needs to care for the people who need the support? Over the course of this Parliament, the Government will be spending half a trillion pounds on the National Health Service. The Right Honourable Gentleman asks about a process to ensure that people who are receiving NHS treatment are entitled to receive that NHS treatment. For many years there has been a concern about health tourism, about people turning up in the UK, accessing health services and not paying for them. We want to make sure that those who are entitled to use the services are indeed able to see those free at the point of delivery, but that we deal with health tourism and those who should be paying for the use of our health service. Mr Speaker, Sir Simon Stevens said that, uh, told us two weeks ago that the next three years are going to be the toughest ever for NHS funding and that 2018 would see health spending per person cut for the first time ever in this country. And the NAO reported that the cost of health tourism is over a hundred times less than the 22 billions of cuts the NHS is facing from this government. The reality is, Mr Speaker, under this government, there are 6,000 fewer mental health nurses. There are record 3.9 million people on NHS waiting lists. All of us who visit A&E departments know the stress the staff are under and that the waiting time is getting longer and longer. And that there are 1 million people in this country not receiving the social care that they need. So instead of looking for excuses and scapegoats, shouldn't the Prime Minister be ensuring that health and social care is properly resourced and properly funded to take away the stress and fear that people face in, in old age over social care and the stress that is placed on our very hard-working NHS and social care staff? Yeah.
billions of pounds extra into social care through the social care precept and the better care fund half a trillion pounds being spent on the national health service a record level of investment in mental health in the national health service but there's a fundamental yeah, order order members must not shout down or attempt to shout down the prime minister the question has been asked and it was heard and the answer must be heard the prime minister well, there's a fundamental point that the right honourable gentleman uh, refrains from mentioning. It, it is this. We can only afford to pay for the National Health Service and for social care if we have a strong economy creating wealth. And that's precisely what he's going to hear from the Chancellor of the Exchequer in a few minutes' time. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On the uh, 23rd of June, my constituents voted by a margin of 62% to 38% to leave the European Union. Many of those people, many of those people are unhappy and frustrated at what they see are delaying tactics by some Remainers who don't seem to understand the meaning of the word democracy. Order, this is very discourteous. It's very discourteous. The Honourable Gentleman has a legitimate question, and that question, and every other question, should be fully and with politeness heard. The Honourable Gentleman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, and I will repeat it. Remain <laughs> who don't seem to understand the meaning of the word democracy, which I would remind them is government by the people, especially rule of the majority. With that in mind, what reassurance can my right honourable friend give my constituents and me that Article 50 will be triggered by March next year? I'm clear that we will trigger Article 50 by the end of March uh, next year, but my honourable friend is absolutely right to make the key point. A referendum was decided decided by this Parliament, six to one, that the people should have the opportunity to vote on membership of the European Union. The vote was held, the turnout was high, the public gave their verdict. There must be no second referendum, no attempt to weasel out of this. This is the government that will deliver on the vote of the British people. Mr. Speaker, Speaker, we on these benches have repeatedly brought up uh, the devastating impact on disabled people from the UK benefits uh, system. The government plans to cut support for people with long-term health difficulties by £30 a week. Last week, my SNP colleague, the member for Airdrie and Shots, proposed a motion which was passed by this House with support from both Labour and Conservative (coughs) members for these cuts to be postponed. Will the Prime Minister act on the vote of this House? Let me say to the Right Honourable Gentleman what we've been doing in relation to uh, benefits for disabled people. Uh, The overall funding for disability benefits will be higher in every year up to 2020 than it was in 2010. We have been focusing support on those who most need it, those who are not able to get into the workplace. For those who are able at some stage to get into the workplace, we've been providing a wider package of support. And I'm pleased to say that over the last three years, nearly 600,000 more disabled people are now in the workplace with the dignity of having a job, which is what many people with disabilities want to have. So we're focusing focusing help on those who most need it and helping those with disabilities who want to get into the workplace to do just that. Mr Angus Robertson. Mr Speaker, it's widely trailed that the Prime Minister will make changes impacting on benefit recipients in work. Will the Prime Minister confirm that she has no intention 
of helping people with disabilities and medical conditions. Why should people who are unable to earn a living be punished for their disability or illness by losing £30 a week? Does she have any intention of changing that? I have, I have just set out for the right honourable gentleman the ways in which we are providing support and help for those people's people who have disabilities. As I said, the overall funding for spending on disability benefits will be higher in every year to 2020 than it was in 2010. But it is also important to recognise that when we give support for people with disabilities, it isn't simply about the benefit system and how much money they're given. For those in the workers, uh, the, the, those who are able to get into work, and on that part of the ESA, we provide packages which are outside of the benefits as well, because we recognise that people want the dignity of getting into the workplace. That's what we are helping people with disabilities who can work to do. Sir Simon Burns. <laughs> will, my, um, will my right honourable friend agree that thousands of road commuters including many of my constituents who use the A12, are travelling on roads that need to be repaired and upgraded. To improve connectivity and to speed up daily commute times, would my right honourable friend accept that the proposed £1.3 billion investment in improving our road network is warmly welcome and will do a great deal to enhance connectivity in the country. Well, my, my honourable friend is ab absolutely right of uh, the importance of infrastructure expenditure in helping to deal with the issue of productivity in our economy. Uh, and I'm pleased that that £1.3 billion for new roads does show us investing in the long-term future for Britain. It do will lead. It's about delivering jobs. It's about delivering economic growth. It's about making sure that this is an economy that works for everyone. Uh, it's just one part of the package that we're proposing. But, of course, my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, will be setting uh, our proposals out more clearly in a few minutes' time. Hewlett Sadiq. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Nazanin Ratcliffe, is in prison in Iran. Nazanin, a British national, has been separated from her husband and her two-year-old daughter for eight months now. She has been on hunger strike and is now suicidal. The Prime Minister needs to reunite this mother, this daughter, this wife, with her family. <coughs> Mr Speaker, will it take Nazanin's death for the government to start taking her seriously? Obviously, this is a very difficult time for the whole family, and I'm sure we're all concerned about the reports of the impact that detention is having uh, on uh, Nazanin Ratcliffe's health as she is in uh, detention in Iran. This is an issue that has been repeatedly raised with the Iranian government by the UK government, both the previous Foreign Secretary and the current Foreign Secretary. I personally raised it with President Rouhani on the 20th of September in New York, where I stressed the importance of finding a resolution as soon as possible. I have since written to President Rouhani requesting confirmation of the charges, the sentence and the appeals process and assurances that Mrs Zaghari Ratcliffe will be allowed full legal representation and regular contact with her family. But we will continue to do everything we can for the family and that includes uh, the British Government remaining ready to help them bring Mrs uh, uh, Zaghari Ratcliffe's daughter back to Britain if that is the request. Mr Peter Lilly. Does my right honourable friend agree that most of our social problems are either caused 
or aggravated by the acute shortage of housing. So even if, as I hope, we manage to reduce the net immigration to this country, we will have to build far more new homes. So isn't the decision, the uh, recommendation by the European Banking Authority to increase by 50% the reserves must, banks must hold against house building, making it even more costly for them to lend for housing than for unsecured credit cards, profoundly unhelpful and perverse? Well, I'm sure my right honourable uh, friend will recognise that we, of course, are subject to our own prudential regulation authorities. But the overall point he makes about the importance of house building is absolutely correct. We do need to build more homes. That's something the government has been doing. We've seen something like 900,000 new homes being built since 2010. But there is more for us to do, and that is what this government is working on. Angela Smith. Thank you, yeah. Mr Speaker. The Brexit Secretary and the Foreign Secretary are described by a senior German politician as having no idea what Brexit really means. The Times, the Times reports today that EU ambassadors think the Foreign Secretary's more colourful outbursts are damaging our relationship with member states. When is the Prime Minister going to get a grip on her ministers? And when is she going to demonstrate to the country and to our EU colleagues that she has a coherent, workable plan for Brexit? I've been very clear in this House on many occasions about the plan that we have for Brexit. Crucially, we will be leaving the European Union and we will be triggering Article 50 by the end of March next year, and that's when the formal negotiations will start. But it is absolutely right that we do not set out at this stage every single detail of our proposed negotiating strategy, because that would be the best way to get the worst possible deal for Britain. This is General Gillen. As we leave the European Union, maintaining the UK's cutting edge and world leadership in scientific and technological discovery is of paramount importance to our industries and universities. Can I welcome the Prime Minister's announcement that each year we will invest a further two billion in research and development to boost our science and engineering base? Isn't this, Mr Speaker, just the type of vital support that our businesses and researchers need? rather than the threats from the Labour Party to slash the R&D tax credits which would hamper innovation and harm our economy. Yes. My right honourable friend is absolutely right. The extra investment that we will be putting in research, into research and development is a crucial part of the long-term task we have of ensuring that we have the economy and the growth and prosperity in this country uh, that, we, that we need. The new funds will be uh, able to put us at the cutting edge of scientific discovery, uh, which I saw for myself. We are already doing this. I was at the Welcome Genome Campus in Cambridge on Monday, able to see the really exciting, really uh, transformational work that is being done coming out of the knowledge base and scientific research here in the United Kingdom. We want to see more of that, and that's why we'll be reinvesting in it. John Woodcock. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Aleppo's hospitals are destroyed and Syrians who avoid the barrel bombs and the chlorine gas are starving from the Russian back blockade. We must do more. So will she revisit the prospect for aid drops and will she look at backing the campaign to stop this daily perpetrator of war crimes? 
of stripping them of, the, of its right to hold the 2018 World Cup. Well, the Honourable Gentleman is right to raise the issue of the appalling atrocities that are taking place in Aleppo. And it is right that we, along with our international allies, should be doing all that we can to try to bring this to a stop. Uh, he will recognise that the issue of who hosts sporting events is not in the government's remit. What is in the government's remit and what we are doing, as I say, is working with our international allies to put more pressure on Russia to stop the appalling uh, atrocities, the appalling attacks that are taking place in Aleppo. What we want to see is an agreement for a political transition to a Syria without President Assad. On Whittingdale. Um, does my right honourable friend agree that if the UK is to remain competitive and our citizens are to enjoy the benefits of a digital revolution, it is essential that we should be at the forefront of deployment of both ultra-fast broadband and 5G mobile connectivity. Can I, can I therefore welcome the announcement which we are led to believe may be made shortly of a £1 billion investment to achieve this? Well, my, my right honourable friend will, of course, uh, be waiting in anticipation for my uh, right honourable friend, the Chancellor's autumn statement. But he is absolutely right that as we look at improving productivity in this country, as we look to the economy of the future, uh, the, what, the provision of that superfast broadband, the provision of those no new technological uh, opportunities for people, is absolutely a crucial part of that, and that is something that this government recognises and will act on. Holly Lynch. Thank you, Mr. Great. Speaker. One day last week, four police officers in my constituency were assaulted over a single 24-hour period. There were over 23,000 assaults on police officers last year, and an assault on a police officer is an assault on society. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. will the Prime Minister do to ensure that the toughest deterrents are in place to protect frontline officers? And when will she reduce the need for unsafe single crewing by restoring the numbers of police on our streets? Yeah. Well, can I uh, send our best wishes to those police officers who were assaulted in her constituency last week? Uh, it is uh, important that we recognise that when police officers go out uh, on duty, and indeed for many off duty, they sometimes find themselves intervening in situations where they do find themselves on the receiving end of assaults and violence against them. Uh, they, they are willing to go forward in the line of duty where others are not, and uh, we recognise that. What we have done in relation to this is we are looking, we, one of the things we want to do is to actually identify the number, rather better the number of assaults that's taking place. That's why last year we issued some provisional figures. We're improving those figures now this year. Uh, sentencing guidelines already allow for an assault on a police officer to be taken as an aggravating factor into uh, account. But also new developments like the body-worn videos actually help to provide the evidence that ensure that people can be brought to justice and that actually deter assaults in the first place. Place. Andrew Murison. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I know the Prime Minister shares my concern at the level of acute hospital bed blocking. Does she agree with me that part of the solution is to promote community hospital beds where they still exist in places like Warminster and Shaftesbury as part of the sustainability and transformation planning process? Well, uh as regards the STP process, of course, that will take place at local level. It will be at local level that these proposals will be considered and put forward by local clinicians. But the concept of 
being able to deal with the bed blocking in a variety of ways is absolutely right. There are good examples around the country where having those uh, step-down beds available is actually resolving the problem of bed blocking. There are other ways in which it's being done. Other parts of the country where social workers are being employed by hospital trusts, for example. Uh, but it's very good to recognise the good practice when it is being done, and we should see more of that across the country. Tom Elliott. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, earlier this month, IRA man turned lawyer Kieran Conway confessed to the BBC that he took part in robberies, bombings, and gun attacks that murdered British soldiers. He stated he will never disclose information on any fellow IRA man, despite knowing details of IRA actions that he himself defines as constituting war crimes. Can the Prime Minister assure me that Her Majesty's Government will apply for the extradition of this terrorist for questioning from the Republic of Ireland? The, the, the question as to whether or not an individual would be extradited or a request would be put in for extradited would be for the appropriate prosecution, uh, investigation and prosecution authorities to take. What I do say to the, right, to the Honourable Gentleman is that we do, of course, recognise the concerns uh, for those cases where it is still possible to bring people for justice and obviously want to see that being done. John Stevenson. Mr Speaker, during the last six years we have had three major referendums, all with varying degrees of excitement. Uh, would the Prime Minister agree with me that you can have too much excitement and will she therefore rule out any further referendums in this Parliament? Well, my, my, my honourable friend is trying to tempt me down a route. One thing I will certainly rule out is a second referendum on whether or not we leave the European Union. Mr Speaker, Aberdeen Cyrenians um, have launched a financial appeal because of the increasing numbers of people finding themselves homeless as a direct result of the UK Government's pursuit of austerity. Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, how can the Prime Minister sleep in her warm bed at night knowing her Government's policies have consigned people to a cold Christmas? The Government is taking action in a variety of ways to address the issue of homelessness. Of course, one of the key things we need to do is ensure that we do see more homes being built in this country. But I just say this to the Honourable Lady. She talks about austerity in the sort of tone that she refers to it. Actually, austerity is about us living within our means. And we should, and we should, and we should always remember we should always remember when we're talking about government providing support for individuals that taxpayers have to pay for that support and many taxpayers are themselves struggling to get by. Kevin Foster. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that yesterday the Peninsula Rail Task Force launched its report, which was commissioned following the storms which severed Devon and Cornwall's vital rail link, just as our vital rail link was severed again, this time by flooding. Does she welcome the report and will she commit the government to ensuring the vision it, commit, it, it outlines is delivered? I thank my, uh, my honourable friend for his question. Can I suggest that he exercises a little more patient, patience and listens very carefully to what my right honourable friend, the Chancellor, has to say? In David! Mr Speaker, in these uncertain times, we would all surely agree that Britain needs strong defence. So how can the Prime Minister justify her government's decision to scrap all the Navy's heavyweight surface-to-surface guided missiles without any replacement. Um, yeah. 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 
Well, I have to say, I don't recognise the picture that the Honourable Gentleman presents of what uh, the government is doing in relation to the armed forces. We are investing billions of pounds in ensuring that our armed forces do have the, uh, the missiles, the boats, the, the ships for the Royal Navy and the other pieces of equipment uh, for the other armed forces. So the picture he presents is not the picture I recognise. Julian Brazier. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would, would my right honourable friend agree that it would be good for confidence in the rule of law if judges did not uh, enter into speculative uh, public thoughts on cases that they're about to hear. We, we value in this country the independence of our judiciary. That's, that's the, independence, the independence for the judiciary when they come to make their judgments in court, uh, but also they are independent and it is to them to determine uh, what they choose to put in their speeches or not, not for the government to tell them what to do. Tim Farron. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker. As, uh, as millions of public sector workers face another year of suppressed pay, after another week of shambolic Brexit negotiations, and with the National Health Service facing a winter crisis, facing a winter crisis and crying out for cash, does the Prime Minister worry that her government is only just about managing? to the, the, uh, the right honourable gentleman uh, that uh, we're very clear about the amounts of money that we're putting into the National Health Service. He talks about uh, uh, the negotiations. Actually, the negotiations for us leaving the European Union uh, don't formally start until we trigger Article 50. We will be triggering Article 50 by the end of March last year, next year. What the right honourable gentleman wants to do is to stop us from leaving the European Union by denying the people the decision and the deliverability of the vote that they took rightly on the 23rd of June. He wants to deny people what they want. We're going to give it to them. Charlie Elphick. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. May I raise with the Prime Minister the concerns of millions of drivers and hauliers across the United Kingdom who worry about the cost of uh, driving, cost of fuel duty, whether her government will look at keeping that down, and also at the pump pricing and how forecourt pricing has uh, worked as the oil price changes. Prices jump like a rocket and fall like a feather. Well, I, I recognise, as, as my honourable friend says, that many people look with very great concern about the cost of motoring in this country. I suggest, uh, as I have done to some of my other honourable friends, that he is a little more patient and waits for the Chancellor's autumn statement. Regal. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has talked about her worries with social care, but surely we have to judge her by her actions. In the last six years, there's been a 37% on average cut in local authority funding, 57% in my area, and nearly a quarter of all of those older people in need of social care have been denied any help at all. What is she going to do about it? As the uh, right honourable lady might have noticed that I have been asked several questions about social care, and I will give the answer. I will give the answer that I have given previously. What this government is doing about social care is putting more money in through the Better Care Fund, giving local authorities the opportunity through the social care precept, and making sure that health and social care come together to ensure that we deal with the issue of bed blocking. To Drax. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, how many of us were charged into a darkened store at night knowing that inside were three mask-wearing, crowbar-wielding thugs? 
trying to rob a store. Well, my two constituents, Nigel Dunmore and Grant McGarry, did just that. And by intervening, the thugs fled, leaving the money, the staff were hurt less, and one of the gentlemen was hurt himself. Will my right honourable friend join me in praising their courage and selflessness in this extraordinary act of uh, bravado? I, I absolutely... I, ab I absolutely agree with my honourable friend and I commend, I commend the bravery and courage that was shown by those two individuals. I think he said Nigel and, and Gart. Who, who stepped into that situation to ensure that it was uh, not as bad as it might have been. That is incredible bravery. There are many members of the public who would not have been willing to step forward in that way. And can he pass my best wishes, and I'm sure the best wishes of the whole House, onto those individuals? Finally, Gloria De Piero. Does the Prime Minister believe that big companies should put a worker on the board? I believe that we should see workers' representation on boards, and I make no apology for the fact that this government is going to deliver on that. For all their years in government, the Labour Party did nothing.